0: Welcome back to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we'll be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this episode for important disclaimers. My name is Mark Odendahl and I'm head of US Capital Markets Research. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm really happy to introduce our next guest. It's Matt Hedberg. Matt is RBC's security software and infrastructure software analyst. Matt has been with RBC for over 15 years. He's actually spent his entire Wall Street career at RBC, starting as a research associate and advancing to a senior associate many years ago. Matt has continued to be one of the highest ranked software analysts on Wall Street, just recently for the second year in a row being ranked number two in SMIDCAP software in the yearly I.I. investor poll. Matt, thanks for joining us here today. It's great to have you and welcome. Hey, thanks, Mark. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. So let's dig into today's podcast. Imagine is one of RBC's research brands. Imagine is a series of fundamental research reports focused on disruptive forces that will transform the world, intended to help investors and organizations plan for the new future. Matt, I'll kick it off with the first question. Why will software be an important aspect of automation in the future? And why is automation so important?
1: At the end of the day, software is all about automation, quite simply. And so to see not only how software is important for automating things that I deal with, But thinking about how a biotech analyst sees software or an auto analyst sees the benefit of software, on the question of automation in particular, we all know that there's a real gap in skilled workers these days. Um, There was a recent uh, Future of Work series that was by Corn Ferry, and he estimated that the global talent shortage for all markets will be roughly 85 million people by 2030 resulting in 8.5 trillion of unrealized revenue. We believe software and specifically automation will be really required to fill a lot of this gap, but really also is expected to actually create more jobs than it makes redundant. And I think that's one of the questions that we get is like, will software eliminate the need for skilled laborers? And we think the answer is no. We think it's gonna make skilled laborers more valuable. And in the same study, they noted that uh, AI would be a positive net generator of jobs creating 2.3 million jobs while only eliminating 1.8 million jobs. So ultimately we see software and particularly automation capabilities as a real enabler for society in the future. And I think from a software specific perspective, there's a lot of categories that could see a benefit. You know, we talk about low code or no code, this idea that, you know, even people like you and I, or should we call citizen developers, can use software to help automate things that we find redundant. And so things like low code, no code, things like robotic process automation, RPA, that's been a really important topic recently. Uh, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. These are all things, Mark, that, that we see software becoming even more pervasive, ultimately making people like you and I more effective, eliminating redundancies, and allowing us to focus on more high-value tasks versus the more mundane, repeatable tasks that software can do for us.
0: Thanks, Matt. And in that Imagine report, one of the key five themes was hybrid living, and this is where we talk about the convergence of physical and digital worlds and how they're rapidly combining, especially in a post-COVID type situation. Can you talk about the future of work under this hybrid living theme that we called out in the report?
1: Sure. Yeah, this is something that obviously all of us think about in our daily lives, and and you know, from a software perspective, the question was about hybrid work, but I think the reality is that. You know, we're all leveraging software, not only from a work perspective, but from an exercise perspective or from a travel perspective or certainly from a schooling perspective. And so really, this idea of of hybrid living, I think, is such a powerful concept, even more than hybrid work, because I think it's just a far more encompassing concept about the power of software in our daily lives, quite frankly. And so when we look about, you know, prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, only about a quarter of the U.S. workers were working from home with regularity. Data though showed that workers tended to be uh, more senior in managerial positions that took advantage of work from home living. At the peak of the pandemic, uh, nearly 70% of workers and school kids, sort of cumulatively, were at home, a number that Gallup estimates to be 100 million remote employees. We expect there to be a fair amount of stickiness from this idea of of working from anywhere, Um, certainly could be at home, uh, really this more flexible work lifestyle. And software is really an enabling factor for all of that. Um, To that point, according to Gallup, over 90% of work-from-home employees said they want to keep their workplace flexible in a post-pandemic world, and over half preferred a flexible arrangement. When we look about uh, th- this idea of hybrid work though, Mark, there's really three different categories. We think true hybrid work, and this is people that are in the office, maybe two to three days and working from home two to three days. We think of another category is fully remote. In this case, offices exist in this model, but there's no requirement to come into the office. And then the third category is virtual first, where most employees spend their time um, working from home and coming into the office if needed for maybe some group meetings or some social activities. And we ultimately find this flexibility, software is a huge enabler of this, right? When you think about software that's leveraging this 5G build-out, so increased bandwidth connectivity, allowing for things like broadband access for web conferencing, recording a podcast like this, uh, virtual teleconferencing, right? You know, not necessarily relying on physical landlines anymore. And really, this global telco infrastructure has ultimately allowed for broader consumption of software That is ultimately, we think, driving what the future of work looks like. And ultimately, we feel like it's going to be a more flexible environment, which was certainly stress tested over the last two years, where I think a resounding level of confidence.
0: Thanks a lot, Matt. Let's go over to your security primer. Can you just give a quick intro of why you wrote the security primer and what was the purpose of informing investors in that report?
1: You know, when I first started, this world was very much defined to corporate offices and data being stored on premise in physical data centers. And there was decades of security built up to help people and executives feel more secure in that world. But with the advent of the cloud, the world changed. All of a sudden data started to move outside of the corporate data center into some of these public clouds or places like salesforce.com. And so data started to move around. The historic definition of an enterprise boundary started to change. Well, that all got changed even further with COVID, when everybody started to work from home. It really then drove more adoption of software and really a dispersion of data beyond the corporate data center. Then there was the solar winch breed a couple of years ago, which further, we think, pushed the envelope forward to enabling more cloud services. So quite frankly, why we wrote the report was that we felt that the security paradigm had changed so dramatically in just a few years that it really required a different look. And part of that we started to talk to CISOs and we started to ask them, what's most important to you? What do you worry about in this new world that's, that's cloud or hybrid cloud? And ultimately, the conclusion that we came to was first COVID changed everything, right? It advanced forward this concept of, of a new security fabric by, we think, five years or more. And what we've been talking to, Mark, more recently is this whole idea that, you know, with cloud adoption, that's really driven this idea of cloud transformation said differently, digital transformation. But I think in our research, what it discovered or uncovered was this idea that when you think about a digital transformation, you also have to think about a security transformation. The security fabric has changed dramatically. And within this report that you reference, we outline four key categories that we feel are fundamental as part of a next-gen security fabric.
0: Let's dig into some of those new subcategories that have been formed over recent years. Identity. Can you help us understand what identity is and why have we seen new company generation around that subsector?
1: So this concept of identity has been around for a long time. Historically, it primarily presided in an on-premise world. So a lot of the software was run on-premise. But increasingly, we're seeing companies of all sizes and scales, company like Okta, Ping, or SailPoint, all embrace more cloud-based identity solutions. And we think that these new cloud-based technologies are enabling employees to to have access to the things they actually need to have and prevent people from having access to things that they shouldn't have. What we just talked about there, Mark, was called workforce identity. The other side to this is customer identity. So a customer, say, a retail employee logging into RBC Wealth Management That's another form of identity. And that form of identity was never really protected historically. And so we think in this world post-COVID, when we think about the most important aspect, we think of a company's existence really is applications. And ultimately, then making sure people are securely able to access content and applications that they're required to, but on the flip side, not access stuff that they shouldn't have is just as important. And so we think We're seeing a whole new resurgence in the importance of identity. We call this a day two COVID beneficiary. And we're starting to see, we think, a a resurgence in spending in some of these categories of identity. And a lot of it's driven by cloud-based identity solutions.
0: The next category I'd like to talk about is application access. And and Cloudflare has been a leader there. And they were just a keynote at our uh, tech conference just a few days ago. Can we dig into application access?
1: Yeah, it's a good segue from identities because with identities, you're trying to govern you know who has access to what. Um, application access is really that pipe or that conduit that connects you to your application. And historically, in a pre-COVID world, a lot of this was done in an on-premise world through technologies like VPN and expensive telco lines or T1 lines. But in a post-COVID world, we've seen a real resurgence in this idea that there is a better and more effective way to access applications. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to, Mark, as zero trust. And you mentioned Cloudflare. The other player in the space that gets uh, some attention is Zscaler. Palo Alto is another one that, that participates in this. But the whole concept here is using an identity provider to... Ensure that you are who you say you are, and then using an application access provider to make sure that you're securely then accessing the application, not only in a secure manner, but oftentimes in a more cost effective manner that's driven by these almost like a digital switchboard, if Mark, if that makes sense. So, you know, connecting to these digital switchboards to then route your traffic to the application securely that you're trying to get access to is just so critical. If you believe that this is an app driven economy, Application access leading as a cornerstone to, uh, to a next generation security fabric.
0: So then that leads to cloud or application security. Define that subsector and who are the leaders there?
1: Yeah. So, okay. So it's a really nice progression. If you think of identity, who you are moving to how you're accessing it or application access that we just talked about. The third portion of this is then protecting that cloud application. This whole idea, know, referencing back to a comment that we made earlier, that historically applications were cited on-premise, today they're in the cloud. And a lot of IT folks that we talk to get nervous when they see more and more applications in the cloud. How do I protect that application that Mark is trying to access? And so kind of these first three areas that we talked to who you are, how you're accessing an application, and how you protect the application, we think really serves as a foundational aspect of this next-generation security fabric. When I talk to CISOs, Mark, those are some of the three most important aspects. There's a fourth category that we can talk about as well. But we think generally, those are some really, really important cornerstones of the next-generation security fabric.
0: So don't leave us waiting. What is the fourth category?
1: The fourth category, it's broadly speaking, endpoint protection, right? And I think historically, we thought of endpoints as laptops and desktops. But increasingly, we see endpoint protection as, as servers, both on-premise and in the cloud. And so the old way of doing endpoint protection was classic antivirus software. And there were vendors like Symantec or McAfee that sort of pioneered this category. But increasingly, we're seeing vendors like CrowdStrike really reinvent what it means to protect an endpoint and really changing this idea of what an endpoint point looks like. The fourth pillar of this next generation security fabric is protecting that device that's either accessing the application or the device that the application is being housed at. And so, you know, when we think about sort of all four of these categories, this is a different paradigm, Mark. This is a different way of thinking about security than even five years ago. And so when we think about this concept of digital transformation, I get asked all the time, what does digital transformation mean? Quite frankly, it just means the use of more cloud workload, the use of more cloud applications. Well, our new assumption is that as important as these digital transformations are, thinking about security transformation in a different light in these four pillars that we just talked about has to be done certainly in conjunction, but sometimes we think as a precursor to this digital transformation. And so we think ultimately, we've used this concept before, faster to the future. We think some of these events over the last two years have really moved these CISOs faster to the future to embrace embrace a new paradigm of cloud security. And we think these trends are durable. right? I don't think it's just a six-month trend or a nine-month trend. I think these are going to be many, many years of catching up with a new security fabric to support this new digital fabric.
0: Well, I think that's a great part to end on. Are there any closing points that you would talk to investors about as we go into 2022, as it relates to next generation security and the recent primary you published? I
1: mean, I think ultimately, the power of software is just so important. We think in this whole concept of the new way to work, the new way to live, the new way to interact, and, and certainly the new way to secure things. I think while some of these trends in cloud computing and SaaS have been well established. Uh, in a pre-COVID world, this idea of faster to the future is really such a profound thought process that we're kind of trying to work through. The result of that is that we believe software is eating the world at an accelerated pace, which we believe makes software some of the most durable and powerful long-term investment themes in this market.
0: Matt, this has been great. Your recent work just shows that you're a thought leader in this sector. So thanks a lot for your time today. Thanks a lot, Mark. What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We'll be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Until then, thank you for joining us today on this episode recorded November 29th, 2021. Make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to continue this conversation or interested in more information, and if you're interested in the Imagine Report that we referenced, Please contact your RBC representative directly or visit our website, www.rbccm.com backslash industries in motion for further insights. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.